Welcome to the Pete Primo Show. It is episode 107. We are here with my friend, Patrick Tinney, and we're going to be talking about negotiating in 2023. But first, let me pay the bills very quickly. If you haven't bought my book, Sell a Million, what are you waiting for? 101 tips for furniture and mattress store owners to sell another million dollars or more this year. Guys, if you have not joined the Mattress Industry Network Group, what are you waiting for? Steve, thank you so much for sponsoring my show. And if you do not belong to the Mattress Industry Network Group, what are you waiting for? If you want to learn how to build, market, sell, and succeed in the mattress industry, this is the place for you. It's a group run by retailers for the benefit of the entire industry. Meet great new suppliers. Meet fellow store owners like you. Meet fellow salespeople like you. And manufacturers reps, if you're not in here, you're missing the boat. And I got drug into this thing kicking and screaming by my friend, Jeff Janakovo, who, by the way, is having uh, knee replacement surgery today. So say a prayer for my friend, Jeff Janakovo today. And uh, with that, thank you, Steve. And if you join the group, Mattress Industry Network Group, which is a free Facebook group, just say hi to me and say, Pete sent me. I'll be glad to uh, look forward to your questions, your comments, and your posts. Scan me. and without a further to do, let's get going. Patrick, welcome to the show. Pete, happy to be on. How are you? I'm awesome. So anybody that doesn't know Patrick, he has written the book, Unlocking Yes, Sales Negotiation Lessons and Strategy. The bonus round, which is not only a sales book, but it's a history of the advertising business uh, book. And Perpetual Hunter for you perpetual hunger for you sales reps out there. If you don't buy this book, you're absolutely foolish. Patrick, what I want to do today is I want to do our best to pretend like nobody else is here other than acknowledging a few of our friends who might have a question and just pretend like we're talking. All right. And so I'm going to start this, this We've had some unbelievable talks and we both said to the other one, why don't we record this? This would have been so good. I mean, <laughs> just right? How many times have yeah, we said No, it's true. It's true. It, it's unbelievable. So yep. why is negotiating in 2023 different than any other time? That's what I want to lead off with. Yeah. You know, I, uh, so I think you were one of the earliest guys to use the R word. And, uh, we won't finish the R word, but we know what the R word means. <laughs> and so what, what we've seen is a, um, a fairly, uh, steep, um, rationalization of jobs, uh, in Silicon Valley. And I think it's been one of these, uh, times in, in the corporate world where, um, uh, companies are able to kitchen sink it and, um, they go back to thinking lean. When they start thinking lean, they just don't think lean about themselves. They think lean about it. Everybody who walks through that front door of their building. Yep. hundred percent. So one of the things that I think about when I think about negotiating, 
I think that it's a skill. I think that the, the underlying piece of it is, is knowledge. But it, it's it's like a, a great athlete. You know, we watched the Super Bowl yesterday. A lot of people watched the Super Bowl yesterday. Mm -hmm. And we we marveled at some of the the great uh, feats of athleticism that we saw. And the truth of the matter is, you would never see performances like that unless those professional athletes were committed to their craft and they worked out on a regular basis. So these guys watch game films more than any high school player, more than any college player. Their livelihood is on it. They know every move that player is going to make across from them. And if they don't, they won't be a professional football player for long. They work out. They break yep. it down a muscle to make it stronger. And I believe, and you put this thought in my head, Patrick, because you know that I'm a contrarian. Like anything that you say to me, I'm going to automatically question mark it and push back. And you said something to me and I tried pushing back on it and I found out that I couldn't. And basically, if you don't work a muscle, it gets weaker. It yep. And I believe that our negotiating muscles on both sides of the fence have atrophied. Yeah, over the last two to three years. Yep, I I think Zoom has. Um, I I commented uh, the other day on a on a post up on LinkedIn. I I actually think that Zoom is killing parts of our EQ. Um, we know what's happening with our children. Um, their critical decision making uh, part of their brain is not growing at the speed that it should be. So I'll give you a. a you say well. How do you know? Uh, there's a teacher in the area that I live in, and um, I engage him quite often. And I said, how's it going in the class? Because I, you know, I'm obviously very interested in, in our future leaders. Uh, these children, um, you know, they've got to keep pace at, at the very least with what's going on in the world. And he says, um, I try to get them to do exercises. And he said, if it's a blackboard, they won't do it. If it's on their computer, they'll do it. Mm. Wow. So I think we've got, I, I really think we've got a problem there. The other problem is, is negotiating deals. I, you know, I, I, as you know, from my uh, book, Unlocking S3 Bias Edition, uh, that I've, uh, you know, I dedicate a lot of time to talking about, can you negotiate over a phone? Can you negotiate, you know, using other uh, communication vehicles? The answer is yes. You can negotiate, can negotiate using email, which is to me substandard because people think they can get away with a lot with the written word. Um, when you have somebody in front of you and you can see what's happening with their face, um, you know, I think you get a much better read. Problem is, is that we're missing. It's like I said, I, I was on, uh, uh, the, uh, Italian sales podcast, uh, by my friend Tobia. And uh, I said, what if you could uh, only see the top half of the statue of David? What would you have? He said it to me, Pat, you've got to have a conversation, eh? <laughs> exactly. What do you think? So, 
I, you know, to me, that's critical. Um, and I, um, I am absolutely certain that there's going to be a big drive to get people back in offices. Um, I, you know, there, there's a lot of people who naturally, you know, if they work in a very large, large territory, they would consider working out of their house. Uh, I mean, like if you're driving all over, a, uh, you know, a couple of states or in our particular case, a province. I don't know if you realize how big Ontario is, but uh, it takes over 20 hours to drive from uh, uh, the edge of Ottawa to uh, the edge of Winnipeg. Mm. 20 hours to get across Ontario. And that's really moving it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It, it's, it's, a, it's, a big, uh, it's a big province. So we understand that some people would naturally be out, uh, out, out of their homes. But here's the big but. The big but is that um, the really big deals, the really big commerce happens in the largest cities in your country and in my country. So in Canada, it's Toronto. Commute across Toronto. Um, Killer. Yeah, my uh, high school got torn down because they, uh, they, they sprayed asbestos all over the ceilings. And as kids, we would throw our pencils up into the ceiling to see how much of this fluffy stuff we could get to fall. I nearly bought a cottage up uh, in the area here where I live now. And the panels looked odd to me. They were fibrous. They were blue. And I asked the owner, I said, any asbestos in there? And he goes, no. And I'm thinking to myself, I'd like to have a piece of that analyzed. The other thing is you want to go into the basement. The first place I had when I go, so I go to two places in a building. One, I want to go in the attic. The other is I want to go in the basement. No, in an industrial space, the attic is, can sometimes be very close because, um, as we know, uh, you know, the, the, the showroom has become the warehouse. So you're actually seeing most of it there. Uh, but you know, there are times when you buy an older building, you want to go down and, uh, you want to make sure that all of the support beams are there that should be there. Because crazy people do crazy things. So I'll give you an example. Uh, in Turkey, they've just lost 32,000 people. And in one of the cases, a gym owner in a, a large building uh, took out some of the support beams to create more space, open space for his gym. And that was one of the primary reasons that the building fell. So you say, well, that doesn't happen with houses or large buildings. I'm telling you, it does. Yeah, it Absolutely. does. And, you know, even larger structures like barns. So my son was in the barn restoration business. And barns are, are because they're open, big open spaces. When tornadoes come through, sometimes they actually get lifted right off their footings. Yeah. And, and, and they get rested back down again. And, and farmers are famous for going in, taking all kinds of tension bars, and trying to pull their building back into square again, right? It happens all the time. And so people have to go to make hard calls on it. Same thing happens when, you know, you get into a historic building. Another problem with it and historic building is that you get in there and you say, geez, I want to make a few renovations. The historical society shows up and says, all you can do in this building is paint, trim. Now, if it's, uh, you know, if it's a bedroom that we haven't designated, then you can do something. If it's a patio outside that you want to add, you can do something. 
uh, but the main structure of the building can't be changed. Yeah. We had a situation where they wanted to put in replacement glass windows and you couldn't. You had to hire uh, a specialist to restore them exactly the way they were. And it was not once or twice or three or four or five times as much money. It was like astronomical. So some of these things, and, and this to me, all goes under the the broad, overly simple category of Intel. And if you just want to really break it down simple, do your homework. And one of the pieces of doing your homework is understanding that some of the reasons that you want to rent this space might be in transit. They might be moving. I've had situations, Patrick, where the anchor that they depended on. Oh my God. Left. I know. And so I've coached all of my dealers that if you are dependent on an anchor, then you put it in the lease that if that anchor leaves, that that creates an out for you. That uh, is one of the best negotiation tips I've heard in years. It's it, it honestly, it's it's really good, Pete. I learned um, from the best. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what's you know what's funny is that once you get into the weeds, right? Once you you know, I, I one of the things that happened when I first opened up my business was I was writing about all of the edges of negotiation. Yeah, and I remember sitting down with the president of an advertising agency that I wanted to do some business with, and uh, he's sitting there across from me, and we're talking, 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 and all of a sudden he says. Uh, I read everything you write. Thanks. It's really nice of you. Uh, so let's sort of get back into what we were into here. And he said, no. He said, you just missed it, didn't you? I said, missed what? He said, you're writing about things that nobody else is writing about. And by the way, we don't have the guts to implement. That's how far out on the edge you are. And you know, you're right. You're right. We just got, we have to have the courage to do it. It's one of the reasons why it's actually the foundation of that book happened in my new home here up in Bangkok. I was sitting in a, uh, you call it a, like a lake house uh, or a, a cabin in the States. We call them cottages up here, but it was actually a house. And I was sitting there and I don't know why, but I, I, I intuitively, I knew that I was about to leave the corporate world. And I sat there one day and I thought, what are the... Worst thing that anybody's ever done to me in a, in a negotiation with no limits. And I wrote them all down. And I thought, where's the thematic here? What is the thematic? Right. And the, th- the thematic was not tactical. It wasn't. I, you see, this whole idea the, of the hostage negotiator, you know, idea uh, entering the sales world is, is just the wrong fit for sellers. Now, buyers want to act crazy and hang their head and say, what'll I do? I don't know what to do and all the rest of this stuff. I mean, yeah, you can act confused. I mean, Steve Kosick, my friend who you mentioned, uh, that was part of one of his, uh, strategic pieces in, in the, um, um, in the strategy that I referred to as the bonus round. And he would just, he would just drag, 
he would, um, in, um, in hockey, we call it ragging the puck. It's where the puck goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And he would act confused until the person looked over and went, Jesus, what's wrong? And he'd hang his head and he'd just go, I don't know, man. I just, the guy's upstairs. It's just going to go nuts if I do this deal. And I, I just, you know, I don't know if I can play or whether I can't play. And God, you know, geez. Oh, so I can look at my desk here and I get thinking about all the things that I have to do here to convince my people internally. And the person, the salesperson, you're just sitting there like this going, see, whoa, oh, whoa, we can help. We can do something. And Steve would suddenly lift up his head and say, what do you got in mind? And that's when the extra pieces come out. So years later, we both retired. I retired very young and we're on a golf course. And he said, uh, did you like negotiating with me? Oh, I said, oh, Steve. I said, it was like watching a Da Vinci or Michelangelo. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you did things that nobody else was doing. And I was just sitting there, you know, like this, uh, I, I don't know, like a cat sitting on a fence, looking down at, you know, uh, a, a dog fight. And I, I just know one of them was going to get hurt real bad. <laughs> and, and what happens is with, with sellers, especially when they come from out of town. So uh, in context, all right. So do you remember when Chicago was the retail capital of the world? It was the, it, the Sears yeah. tower, it you was. know, think about anybody who was anybody. That's where they went, right? That's where the retail, um, uh, conference that was held every year. It was always held in Chicago. The so original. Imagine, you know, you, you're, you know, you're, you're from, uh, uh, small town, Florida. And, you know, there's a lot of Floridians that just never leave the state. That's, they're there. And suddenly you're blasted into Chicago. Well, first of all, just going into that airport has got to make your hair stand on end. Yeah. It's not, it's not like landing in Tampa. I'm sorry. No, it's not. Even Miami's not a big airport. Nope. Washington's a decent size, but it's not even gigantic. I mean, it's big, but it's Chicago, Atlanta. That gets your attention. Yep. Yep. Did you know the original furniture mark market was in Chicago? I didn't. Way before High Point, Chicago was the place. Yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me. You many, know many I mean? years. You think about the fashion business. Uh, the fashion business got split between L.A., Chicago, and New York. That was it. Yeah. They were looking for all the street trends. Tommy Hilfiger was watching all the young people you know, hanging out with their boom boxes. And uh, he was looking to see what the preppies were doing. He was looking, uh, Ralph Lauren did exactly the same thing. Only he just kind of, he kind of, he kind of kicked it up a notch and made it a little bit more classy. And then suddenly he, he went into home fashion. The Ralph Lauren home fashion business was gigantic. It was huge. Yeah. Still is. For sure. Scott Vaughn, what did you say? My good friend, Scott Vaughn. What did you say? Great advice on the anchor, Precious Pete. Yeah, do do not sign, uh, do not sign a lease that's dependent on a uh, on an anchor store without getting an out. Pat, what are the two keys of 
This is Guy Danes, or it might be... No, it's Guy. No, it's Guy. Uh, Pat, what are the two keys to negotiating in the B2B game? This is for our reps. Listen up, reps. All my rep friends, listen up. You're about to get some solid gold. Yeah. Um, If you... If you can't think like an insider, you're not ready. That's number one. Number two, if you don't show up with the correct value equation in a B2B negotiation, you'll be escorted out of the building. I was once, so I worked at the Toronto Star, which was Canada's largest newspaper, 850,000 circulation on a Saturday in the old days, uh, twenty to $40,000 a page on a Saturday. Um, and, um, we went up to see one of the largest discounters in Canada company was called Byway. And we went up with what we thought was a smart proposal. And believe it or not, we used to fold them into our color comics in the newspaper because they just had like a a lot of really odd looking merchandise. And if you know, the, the, the deep discount business, uh, you know, it's like little kids clothing. It's, it's kind of like, um. Uh, it's kind of like a down market Kmart, if you can kind of get your head around that. Um, and anyway, we walked in and he's got these little folding chairs and he's got bubbles on the table and, you know, he's got little girls dresses and, you know, nightgowns and all the rest of the stuff. There's these four guys from the, the, the Tron star, you know, the, the big thinkers, right? Well, three, I'm not a big thinker, but they were big thinkers. So anyway, they started in the proposal and this guy who was their buyer was an MBA from Harvard University. So, I mean, uh, uh, the, the, the Bible hired very good people, right? His name was Russ Jacobson. I still remember him to this day. But this happened back in 1981. So that's ah, 21, 22 years ago. And it's February, just like right now. And he's looking at the polls and I could see him nodding, nodding, nodding. And then he'd had enough. He'd had enough. And he goes, guys, look out the window there. What do you see? Oh, we all go, oh, Russ, what a horrible day. You know, it's like last week here, you know, up in my neck of the woods, it was 40 below zero. I had to change my car battery, 40 below zero. It went dead. So I'm looking up, we're all looking out the window going, oh, Jason, we want to be out of here. Let's get out of Florida. It's all this ice and snow and ice and snow. That's all we can see. He says, precisely, gentlemen. And you know what you're bringing me right now? This proposal is ice. You're bringing me ice in the winter. Meeting adjourned. Wow. Do not bring ice in the middle of the winter. No, you can just go outside and chop it up yourself. What are I'll your sell best- you some up here. Scott Vaughn is asking Patrick, what are your best tips on negotiating with sellers or lessers of commercial real estate? Well, we've got into that, but we can put a cherry well, on top of it. I, yeah, I, I, I think there's a couple other things. You know, so if you've lost an anchor, all right, and, and your greatest concern is market comp. Uh, composition, then you might be satisfied with the market composition and knowing that somebody's going to fill that anchor space later. Um, anchor spaces typically don't send, you know, spend 
you know, they, they don't go into purgatory. Has it happened? The answer is yes. And the way that we really felt it badly up here in Canada uh, was with Sears. And when Sears went out, uh, a lot of stuff went out, out with it. And um, same with Zellers. When Marshalls bought it, they they basically, uh, um, you know, actually Target bought the stores, but they, they they killed the brand. They they just killed it. And so a lot of the shopping centers got stuck. The however in all of that is that if your target market is there, you, you have to almost weigh the following. Would I rather be in a more active uh, retail setting three miles down the road where my customers don't exactly reside and have to travel by three of my competitors to get to my store? Mm, or do I want to be in a setting where I get a better rate on my rent and I'm just going to have to advertise a little bit more. I'm going to have to get more creative, do more direct mail, um, do things that other people aren't doing. I mean, what's wrong with having a kid stay at a, at a furniture store? Nothing wrong. That's, that's, uh, that's great stuff. Scott, my number one tip is this. Do not fall in love with a location under no. any circumstances because... And Pat goes into detail on this in his book and, and the whys and, and, and a lot. But when you fall in love with something, even if you rightly fall in love with it, even if it really is the best answer, do your best never to let your potential landlord see that you're in love with it. Because if oh. you do... You're you done. Pay out your nose. You're done. You're, you're done. And, and I'll let Patrick clean this up because this yeah. is a match. So here's, a, here's a quick little story. Think. About nine years ago, I meet an intern who is going to go, go work at Collier's Real Estate here in Canada. He's still in university. He happens to walk by my booth when I was at an entrepreneur show, dropped his card in there. And I said, you know, winner wins a half hour with Patrick Tin. Long story short is uh, I looked at his card and I thought, I'm going to help this kid. I don't know why it just, it happened. So anyway, his name was Matt and, um, you know, I gave him my half an hour and then we talked a few more times after that. And then, you know, he's gotten really busy with his life and he's doing pretty well at Collier's. He's had a couple of challenges and he would every once in a while call it and just say, wow, just, just that something didn't happen that should have happened. What went wrong? So we talked. So anyway, last week, um, on my LinkedIn feed, I I now read that Matt is a vice president at, at Collier's. Uh, his deal book size in nine years has grown to 150 million. And so I left him a message. He calls up and goes, Pat, Matt, how you doing, Matt? Like, a, this is pretty exciting. Isn't it? I go, well, yeah. I said, what, Matt, where's my Matt Albertine friend, the, 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 the little guy? Now I'm staring at this monster. I, I just said, no, um, I just want to congratulate you. And I'm so proud. I'm sure your parents are very proud for you too. And I said, I, I'm, I'm fried, man. Like I'm bleached. I've been working on a new program and I've been going 24 seven. Um, so can we just set up some time later to talk? And I want to hear all about your adventures. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he says, before we leave, you have to know something. I used one of your ideas, one of your things that you talked to me about in real estate. 
And I said, well, there's a whole pile of things that I talk about. Can you remind me which one it was? And he goes, yeah. He says, you told me that if I ever ran into a, a tough seller who was attached to his building or she was attached to the property, this was your advice. Tell that person, your building doesn't know you're alive. <laughs> that doesn't care about you. Your building is not emotional. You are emotional about your building. And he says, I got the listing. I convinced him that his building didn't know who he was. That's great. That's, that's amazing. Uh, On the other hand, let me give you one more. Uh, I was doing sure. some work for uh, factory carpet up here in Canada when carpet was still big. So it's anything that goes on the floors. So you got your uh, um, your liquidator group down in the United States that does floors. Obviously, Home Depot does a lot of floors, same as Lowe's. Um, anyway, they were uh, trying to rapidly grow across Canada. And uh, before anybody was doing uh, sort of analysis on locations, I was into it. Um, and their target market was families with children. Um, they wanted mid to better income. Uh, they were not looking for senior citizens because senior citizens don't put any wear and tear on the property. And, um, there was another group that they didn't want. I forget what it was. It doesn't come to mind right now. But anyway, when I sent down to my analysis on their, uh, expansion into the Vancouver market, which here in Canada is a huge market. Um, I mapped it all up. I took our, uh, statistics Canada data, uh, which is, um, you know, your census data in the United States. I matched it up. And then I, what I did was I, I poured it all into what would be your zip codes in Canada here. We call them forward sortation areas. It's the same idea. They're just named differently. And I walked in and I sat in front of the advertising agency and I said, done some work for you. She goes, yeah. And yeah. I said, uh, here's where your stores are. Here's where your locations are. Here's where your market is. Your stores are not where your customers are. As a matter of fact, you've been so desperate to buy space that you neglected to think about how many competitors that your ideal customer would have to pass by in order to get to you. So you're actually located in places where your customers are not. And it was like I dropped a grenade in her, in her lap and I just got up and walked out because I couldn't fix it. Mm. Mm -mm. Yeah, at least you got credit for being an expert. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it was a time where, you know, we were all trying to build the business case for, you know, why things should happen. So I was very early into the mapping game here in Canada. As a matter of fact, I remember when I went over to our magazine division for a while, um, I wanted to prove to everybody that the magazines with, you know, total market penetration were actually a viable vehicle for large advertisers. And so what I did was I plotted every major department store, junior department store, uh, food store, and uh, a large pharmacy chain by city. And um, 
word got around in the building. Um, and I had one of our new MBA guys walk up and he says, I hear you've done some mapping. I said, yeah, I don't think anybody's done this before. He says, can I have a look at it? I said, sure. So I, you know, I've got, you know, I've got three maps per market, say the 10 biggest cities in Canada. And he looks down at it. He says, do you know what this is worth? I said, I don't know. I've never seen it before. He said, Pat, he said very quickly, he said, if that isn't worth $100,000 in somebody's hands here today, I'd be shocked because nobody's got that information. Now, what happened, which was really funny, was my boss, my old boss on the retail team had heard I had done this and he wanted to go down and see the boys in Bentonville at Walmart um, because it's when they first bought bought a wool cove here in Canada. And he said, I want those maps. I said, Don, I said, they're not quite done. I said, you know, we're, 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 we're moving locations like, you know, millimeters to get them correct. Right. And he said, you're stalling on me. I said, I'm not stalling on you. He says, I'm going to go right to the CEO of this company. If you don't give me those maps now, I'm going down to Bentonville and I want to impress these guys. And I said, I'm not certain about them. He said, I don't care. They look good to me. But four days later, he comes back and he's, he comes into my office and he's blistering red faced. And I said, how was your trip? And he goes, it was horrible. I said, why? He said, of all, all the stores that were on those maps, it was the Walmart locations that were right. Meeting adjourned. You see, you, you know, you have to be precise with retail. Retail is one of the most precision games in the world. A lot of people think that retail is this, uh, you know, you know, this, this carnival that, that happens every day. It's not. It's science. You know, when I would walk into a store, first thing I would ask myself is, am I in a racetrack or am I in a grid? When I walk into a food store, if I'm standing at the front of the store, I can point, uh, immediately to my left, uh, as far as I can get away from that store, I know exactly where the milk is going to be. The old uh, food counters. You know the old food counters, Pete? The old what? Food counters. Food counters. So when you walk into like a a, uh, a Kmart, um, a lot of the old uh, department store retailers would have a little snack counter. And, and the reason that they had them was the moms would take their kids there because the kids uh, hated shopping, especially in, in women's clothing, um, especially little boys. And so they would drop them off at the, uh, at the food counter, which never made any money, by the way. And the retailers knew it. But the two customers that they desperately wanted were women with children. And the other problem they had was filling their stores on Tuesdays. Tuesdays is the worst day in retail. You want to make friends? Walk into a retailer on Tuesday and sit there and talk to you all day. (laughs) Hi. You have a pulse? Yeah. Yeah. No, no doubt. Uh, Chris, are there any other questions that I didn't get to? Nope. Okay. I am going to 
do this very, very quickly. I'm going to read a chapter from my book. Oh, I love it. Number 21. I love that book. Coach team members on page 35. Um, Nicole, Wanda, and Scott, get your books out. Coach team members. There's a saying, inspect what you expect. And as, a, as business owners, we must stay on top of what employees and team members are doing. I wish it was different, but it isn't. You could implement every strategy in this book and still fail if your team is not on board and doing things in the way you need them done, especially if you have direct contact with prospects and customers. I've seen this happen more times than I like to remember. What where a store owner has done everything right and an employee undermines the entire system with the wrong attitude, behavior, or knowledge. It can kill a business. Don't let it happen to you. The best way to ensure your team has the same vision and follow through is to make them part of the marketing process and reward them for going the extra steps. Hold frequent marketing strategy meetings where everybody has input. Get team members buy-in and agreement with new marketing initiatives and systems. Help them realize their success is directly related to your customer success. As the owner... It's ultimately up to you to make sure employees and team members are doing the job you expect them to be doing. Stay on top of this all the time and see the difference it can make in your business. You might need to be patient with some of your employees at the beginning. Once they see and feel your commitment, they will come on board. If they don't, after a reasonable amount of time and consistent feedback, they might no longer be a fit for your company. Please do not arbitrarily fire anyone in my name. Only after they don't respond to feedback over time do I suggest the F word. What say you, Patrick? What say you? Um, there's a lot to unpack there. Well, you piled a lot in one spot. Um, you know, to me, there is an expectation when you walk through the doors of any retail operation. Um, it was more Safford here in Canada who said the store is the brand. And he changed the whole idea of how we think about retail. I think Walmart pretty much did the same thing. Um, and, uh, and there were some retail brands that just didn't get it. Sears never got it. I don't know how they stayed in business. They just didn't understand. They didn't understand that they actually had a female shopper. So what would I be thinking if I was in the furniture business? Well, I, I would say a couple of things. First of all, your store is a beautiful, beautiful place. And if a customer comes in, you have a very rare opportunity. And the rare opportunity is as follows. More people buying stuff online than at any other time in the history of man, outside of the old, you know, uh, Sears catalog days. And then you lived up in the boonies and that's why you bought stuff that way, right? Um, so when somebody comes into your store, um, if it was me, I would have my sales reps um, with a list of about 20 really good questions to ask different groups, groups like seniors, groups like families with children, and uh, groups that look mid to better. Uh, and by the way, never judge a customer by the way that they're dressed. That'll kill you every time. You're always going to get it wrong. Um, the other thing is, 
I would, because your customers are buyers, um, I would uh, do my best to understand what buyer negotiation strategy really means in the greatest sense of the word. Now, in the back of Unlocking S3 Biased Edition, I give you 25 and I unbundle. If you, uh, so Steve, uh, last week we were talking about, you know, a strategy and he said to me, he said, Pat, he said, you told me that if I memorized the 25 strategies at the back of your book, that if I just did that, your book would be worth much more than I ever would have imagined. And so, you know what? Give him credit. He started grinding away at that book. And I think that uh, Steve is now thinking on a different level about strategy. Um, because what you want to do is you want to reroute um, uh, what I would call uh, nefarious angelic strategy. This is, a, this is a mode that buyers slip into. So it's almost like where they're, you know, if you've ever done any, uh, any bass fishing and you got a popper, you're just trying to pop that bait across the top of the pond and uh, get that largemouth just to get to the point where they go, I just can't take it anymore. I just can't take it anymore. I just can't take it anymore. The other thing is, is if a store, if a, if a customer looks like they're qualified and you just haven't figured out what it is that they want, don't be afraid to ask. You know, don't be afraid to just sort of say, um, you know, I, we've been talking quite a bit here right now. It, it, in, in the very simplest words possible, can you explain to me what it is that you, it, in a perfect world, what you really want, even if you don't find it here, because next time you come in, I might just have it, or it might come in and, you know, if you'll allow, I'll put your email address in my database. And as soon as that arrives, like if we don't have, um, you know, uh, the, you know, the kind of uh, home fashion that you want in, in the, in the new blue or the new black or the new orange or the new cream. I mean, I'll be on the phone for you right away and just, uh, and I'll put a hold on something for you. I actually, uh, uh, called in the tell my battery went dead last week and I put a hold on a battery in at a Canadian tire store. Now you think that's kind of a weird thing to do, but you know what? Scarcity is your greatest friend in retail. Yeah. So if, you know, you think back to the cabbage patch dolls, people would crawl over broken glass to get those. So if you've got a unique thing that your store does, uh, then, you know, create a, uh, a scarcity environment. And the scarcity environment is, you know, you might, you might uh, do a remote in your store and, you know, you, you might have the person from the radio station. You're right. I was selling radio, which sounds kind of odd, but anyway, uh, you know, you have the person on remote saying, you're not going to believe this. Larry came live, but we've only got nine left. Oh, sorry. Eight. Oh my God. Better get down here quick. And you can just say, you hear operations starting, uh, you know, to head down. Last thing is, you know, um, try to let the customer out of the store, figure out a way to get them back in just as they're getting to the front door just say, God, you look parched. I've got a soft drink in the back. Would you like that? And we can just sit and talk about your family. Let's not talk about what I've got anymore. Let's just talk for a couple of minutes. And I want you to remember me. And I want you to come back. Because here's the thing, especially in the furniture business. If a customer leaves the store and they go home and they start to, you know, uh, measure space over and over and over again, 
they've got you. They've got you because then they can call up and they can say, darn, you know, I thought that that thing that you showed me was going to fit, but it's not going to fit. I'd have to redo my whole room, which means I'm going to have to take some budget and reallocate it to making my room fit your furniture. How are you going to address that? I yeah. just asked for a discount. That's, that's great stuff. Um, I just want to put a, a cherry on top of the Sunday that you created for our retailers. Tell a good story. And what I used to do when I was in retail, because it was true, when I found myself in a situation where I'd pretty much exhausted everything and the customer was on, on their way out and I wanted to get their contact information, I would tell them, you don't know how many times that I've talked to somebody and they wanted something that I didn't have and it came in the next day, exactly what they described. And I thought they were crazy and I thought it doesn't exist and there it is right there. So do you mind if I just grab your phone number real quick or your email, whatever is easiest for you and I won't call you unless the perfect thing shows up here. That's if it does, I'll be sure to call you. One more thing I would add. Go ahead. I've just added this to my um, my new negotiation program. And it's a causality question. And it's the, it's the one that will drive people crazy. So let's say that somebody is that close to buying, but they don't. For some reason, it's just like it, they, they, they can't wrap their head around it. And, uh, I had a guy who was at one of my book signings and he walked up, he stood on the line and I used to get, he used to sign quite a few books and he was a lawyer and, uh, he stood there and he goes, why do I need your book unlocking? Yes. I said, what do you do? He said, well, I'm in the corporate space. He said, uh, I do M and A's. Uh, I do, you know, uh, really large deals. I said, what, what's your net payout on average? He said, 50 to $75,000. We do fairly large, you know, family sized businesses could be like the furniture business where you've got like 10 locations. Right. So anyway, I said, right. I got it. I got it. Yeah. yeah. No, I, all I can say is this, it's a really good book. Um, being very well received and people are making money with my book, but sounds like you don't need any help. He goes, that's what I thought. So he turned around, he walked away. I waited till he put his hand on the handle of the door, just as he was walking out, because my locations for the book signings were always about 20 yards away from the front door. Right. And I said, by the way, the next time you lose one of those 50 to $75,000 paydays over a negotiation that went wrong, just remember that you could have owned it for $24.99. He spun and his heels came back, ripped the book out of my hands and give me that freaking book. <laughs> so, you know, you can do that with a, you can do that with a, you know, if, if you're in, if you're in a retail location and you say, geez, you know, we're down to our last three. You, what if, what if you leave here right now and go to my competitors and somebody walks in and this happens all the time in the fashion business. Have you ever walked into a store and you go, oh man, that is like the best pair of slacks or the best shirt I've seen forever, but I just don't have time to try it. Right. And then you come back. Um, two days later and there's none left. 
So sure. the causality question is really a, a kind of a fu- futuristic question, which, which is, is supposed to create emotion. And the emotion is, I missed out. Right. It's, the, it, it's the emotion of loss. And the, if there's one thing that bugs us in the world, it's that I had my hands on it. Right. And I didn't buy it. Yep. hundred percent. Pat, thank you so much. I cannot believe it's been an hour and uh, I'm about ready to get the boot off the air. But just take a minute or two. Tell us what you're up to and tell us, for those who didn't know you before, and everybody should know who you are, how do they get in touch with you and what are you up to? What's the next newest, biggest thing? I'm always saying four to you because he's the author of three, three great books, soon to be four, whenever he gets around it. Tell us what you're up to and how to get a hold of you. Well, uh, go up into any search engine and put in Patrick Tinney, sales author, and it lights up like a Christmas tree these days. Um, I've been honored, Pete, uh, to uh, sit with you and, and our friend Christone on a number of occasions. I think this may be number four, which is a new world record. Um, <laughs> you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm there. I've got uh, just under 9,000 followers, and they're almost all in sales. Uh, it's the way that I've designed my profile. Um, I have three programs right now that are just knockouts. So if you said, geez, Pat, we don't have much budget, that's okay. I've got a program that I ran for Microsoft uh, last year. It's on buyer negotiation strategy. It's about an hour long, and it's where I outline the 10 ugliest buyer strategies you've ever seen in your life. Now, as a furniture owner, you may want to use them. As a seller, you may want to be aware of them so you can reroute customers and get them into the right collaborative space. When, especially if they're coming in to buy like room, a, a whole room setting. Say someone will come to and says, you know, hey, listen, like, I, you know, I, I want to do, I, I want to be ready for Christmas and I want all new stuff. And they've got the money, right? So the second one is I've produced a, uh, a sales prospect and consultative selling and sales negotiation evenly paced, evenly broken up program uh, that gets delivered in one day. I can do it in person and I can do it virtually. Honest to God, folks, I've been working on this for about 15, 16 years, and I'm not going to touch this again. That's how good it is. So let's say that you got somebody that you really want to bring up in your organization. You want to refresh them and you want to take them through the whole panoramic view that we call sales then you're ready. Just last week, I completed the uh, the new Centroid uh, Sales Negotiation Masterclass. It is massive. The slide deck alone is 120 slides deep. It's so big, it's going to require two workbooks. That's the cover art that's going to go in this program. And the one thing I know for sure, so for years, I only ran a half-day uh, sales negotiation program because... I was able to pack so much into it that people, uh, you know, people would get their money back on the first couple of questions they asked using my techniques. A two-day program, I'm pulling out all the secret sauce. I'm going to show you things you've never dreamed of. And one of the really cool ones is cost modeling up, cost modeling down. And I can actually show you that none of us sees numbers the same way. 
we all kind of visually, we all kind of, wow, you know, Pete sees numbers the same way Pat does. I can tell you he doesn't. There's a slight difference between the way that we see numbers. And that has an, uh, an impact on how it is that we buy or sell. And if, if you understand that, then you're going to be really strong. The SWOT analysis, let's say you've got a, a commercial division and you've got a guy that comes in and says, I just bought a building. I need it filled in. Uh, then you've got to have somebody who knows how to handle that kind of a conversation. So a SWOT analysis on a deal is really important. Most people can't do it. The ones that do master it, I know you have be, but the ones that do master it, it just changes your life because you think in SWOT. You're either thinking in leverage or you're thinking in business implications, which is the scary stuff that happens in the middle of the night. And the last thing is, is um, obviously I'm embedding a lot of strategy in, in this program. 15 exercises or 16 is gigantic. And I also put in my staircase approach to asking questions. I use um, about six different varieties of questions. Um, and very rarely do I directly ask for a deal only under one circumstance. And that's if I run out of time. Or if I see no more impediments. If, if, if customers stand there, you answered every question they've got, they just say, uh, I can't see an impediment here. If, if you, if you see one, can you describe to me what it is? And if they can't describe to you what it is, then you just say, so why are you going to leave without this merchandise? You'll hate yourself if it's not here tomorrow. That's awesome. Guys, thank you for being with us. And Patrick, thank you for being with us. Any other way to get a hold of you, or are those all the primary ways? Just to get pick up the phone. I'm I'm a phone guy. I love the phone. All this baloney about social media, you know the, the the you know the all of these prospect king guys and all the rest of it. I'm the most boring man in the world. You want to know why? I just want to talk to you. I want to listen to you. That's I want to hear about your vision of tomorrow. There you go. And you just got a master lesson right there, guys. Patrick, what's the phone number you want them to call you at? 416. Yep. 617. Yep. 3271. Think dollar signs. Awesome. 416-617-3271. Patrick, thank you for your time and thank you for your knowledge. But most importantly, thank you for your insights. You always give us a new way of thinking that helps us close more sales. And uh, you you are the master's master. So I'm going to say this very quickly before we say goodbye. So when one of the top sales gurus in the industry wanted uh, to bone up on negotiations and wanted to offer a course on negotiations, who did he call? Patrick Tinney. And that is all I'm going to say. When, when, when the elite sales trainers of our day You're right. are calling Patrick and asking him to do courses for, for him, that tells me everything I need to know. You have a master here, and, and thank you so much, Patrick. You know, Pete, you have a nice way of framing things. You're a gentleman. Thank you. You're not a very Canadian. 
You're that good. <laughs> thank you, Patrick. And thank you, everyone in our audience. Have a great day. Thank you. Rock and roll. 